0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church Cardiff podcast. My name's Ian, and today we're diving back into the Book of Philippians and a series we started earlier this year called Joyful, A Journey Through Philippians. Now, this is a series we spent a number of weeks in before we went into our Praying Life series and our season of prayer as a church family. And if you missed this series first time around, don't worry. Uh, You can catch up on all the talks online on our website. There are four talks in the series so far. They were delivered between January and February, so check those out. But just to refresh your memory, because I know it's been a long time since we were last in this series, Philippians is a letter that was written, that's in the New Testament, and it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Now, Philippi isn't a city that exists anymore, but there are archaeological archaeological ruins and remnants of that city that Paul visited on his second missionary journey. And just to get our geographical bearings, Philippi was situated in the northeast of Greece, right near the coast. It's believed to be the first place in mainland Europe that Paul preached the gospel. And as a a result of people hearing Paul proclaim the good news of Jesus, the church in Philippi was born. It was Paul, therefore, who planted the church in Philippi. And over the years that followed, he is likely to have visited the church again. Um, He's likely to have stayed in touch with the growing community of believers there. And we know from his letter that the Christians in Philippi were people that Paul knew. These were people that he cared for deeply and loved. They were one of the sources of Paul's joy, which is a theme that is weaved throughout this letter. Paul speaks repeatedly of the joy and the fullness of life that he discovered through knowing Jesus, the joy that he found in learning to live out the gospel, and the joy that he has in being united with other believers. And he proclaims all this in spite of the fact that at the time of writing to the Philippians, Paul finds himself in prison, we think in Rome. This is about 10 to 12 years after he first planted the church in Philippi. And the way that the Roman prison system worked, you didn't get food and water from the warden. Instead, you were at the mercy of your friends and family. You relied on them for support and provision. And so when the Philippians, who were hundreds of miles away, heard about Paul's imprisonment, they sent a man called Epaphroditus, 800 miles all the way from Philippi to Rome, with a gift for Paul so that he could buy food and water and clothes and everything else that he might need. And what's clear from Paul's letter is that unlike uh, his other letters in the New Testament, he isn't writing to the Philippians in anger. This letter isn't a rebuke. This is a letter from a leader who is filled with joy at the very thought of the people he knows and leads. And the primary purpose of this letter is encouragement. Paul wants to thank them, but more than that, he wants to encourage them to keep going in their their faith. He wants to encourage his friends, his fellow believers, to live in the fullness and joy of knowing Jesus. This is the central point of his letter, and he hits it head on in chapter 1, verse 27, which is also the first command he gives in this letter. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, live as people whose lives have been completely transformed as a result of knowing Jesus. Or as we might put it in this church, live like Jesus. This is what Paul's letters to the Philippians is all about. And then in chapter 2, Paul lays out a vision of a church doing just that. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, "...make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind." Or put simply, live in unity. And then in verse three, he says, do nothing out of selfish gain or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul's talking here about unity and humility as the way to live out the gospel. And then in chapter two, verse five, Paul starts to uh, lay out examples of what this looks like in day-to-day life. His first example is Jesus, the example. In verse 5, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. And he goes on to describe how Jesus humbled himself for the gospel. James spoke about this in the third talk in this series. You might recall that James explained how humility is not something that we can work on directly, rather, it is a byproduct of looking at the person of Jesus. And then, if you can, Think back to the last talk that we heard in this series, way back in early February, when Alice unpacked verses 12 to 18 from chapter two. She explained how, in those verses, Paul uses the example of Israel from the Old Testament as a negative example, as the exact opposite of how to live out the gospel through grumbling and arguing. Paul says, So Paul sets out the goal, live a life worthy of the gospel. He paints a picture of what this looks like, unity and humility. And he's lifted up Jesus as the ultimate example. He's presented Israel as an example of how not to do it. And then in today's passage, Paul's going to reel it in and really bring it home. So let's dive back into the Philippians and pick things up in chapter 2, verse 19. So here we go. This is Paul speaking now. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive good news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out to their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Okay, at first glance, this passage is nothing, nothing more than a travelogue. It's plane tickets and hotel reservations and where to next. It's a glorified itinerary, isn't it? Laying out travel plans. But Under the surface, there is so much more going on in this passage. You've got to keep in mind that Philippians is a letter. This passage that we're reading is part of a letter. And when we pick up the Bible and read a chunk of it, like these verses today, we're reading something that needs to be understood in the context of the whole letter. And as we dive back into the book of Philippians over the next couple of months, I'd love to encourage you to try and find a moment to read this letter in its entirety, from start to finish. Read the whole thing in one sitting. Get the whole picture. Try and hear and understand the full message and encouragement that Paul is giving to the Philippians. As I alluded to before we read the passage, in today's verses, Paul takes the inconceivably high challenge, that seemingly unattainable standard of life that he'd outlined in the first half of his letter. And he makes it personal and tangible and slightly more graspable to the Philippians by talking about Timothy and, Epaphrodit- and Epaphroditus, two people they would have known. Timothy had helped Paul plant the church in Philippi, and Epaphroditus was himself part of the Philippian church. And what we see Paul doing here is holding up Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples for the Philippians to follow in order that they, in their day-to-day lives, can learn to live out the gospel for themselves. You see, Paul understands something about humanity and the way that we as humans learn and grow. It's through real-life examples, through role models, through learning from people who have been there, done it, and got the t-shirt. It's through observation and application. We learn best through imitation. And this understanding of discipleship and human development underpins one of the most famous phrases in all of Paul's writing in the New Testament. That's found in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, when he says to his fellow believers, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You see, we all need examples. That's true for you, right? I know that's true for me. There are people in my own life who I look up to as role models and examples, people I want to be like, that I want to learn from, that I want to copy or imitate, to use Paul's language. Whenever I step into a new stage of life, whenever I become aware of something that I need to work on or grow in, I want to talk to somebody who's already been there. I want to talk to somebody who's, who's out ahead, further down the road than me, whether it's in faith, work, my marriage, parenting, cooking, exercise, you fill in the blank. Theories, theologies, and ideas aren't enough by themselves. We need physical, visible, tangible examples who we can watch, who we can rub shoulders with, talk to, and learn from. And Paul gets that. He knows that trying to get to grips with how to live a life worthy of the gospel is fuzzy at best. It's one thing to say to Paul, it's one thing for Paul to say, go and live out the gospel, but it's a whole other thing to put flesh and blood on theology. And that is what Paul is up to here in this text. He's taking two of the best examples he has, people the Philippians would have known personally, one of which was even from their community, and he says to them, "Are you trying to figure out how to live how, Are you trying to figure out how to live out the gospel? "Hey, you know, you know Timothy, live like him." And then he says, "Hey, you know Epaphroditus, go live like him." And so I just want to spend a moment looking at what Paul has to say about Timothy and Epaphroditus whilst thinking about what it means for us today. So let's start with Timothy. If you're new to the Bible, Timothy is quite a well-known character in the New Testament. Years before Philippians was written, Paul had planted the church in a city called Lystra. And there he found a young guy named Timothy. And Paul basically invites Timothy to come with him. This is come follow me discipleship, just like Jesus did with his disciples. Timothy followed Paul on his travels and essentially became his right hand man. And what we have here is Paul saying to the Philippians, I want to send Timothy to you. Now, why does Paul hope to send Timothy to the Philippians? In verse 20, he says, because I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare Everyone looks out to their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And there's some really interesting parallel language Paul's using here. Because back in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, make my joy complete by being like-minded. And then then about Timothy, in that verse I just read, he says, I have no one else like him. And our English translations mark it, but it's the same word. Paul's saying, I have no one else so like-minded as Timothy. No one else so like-minded as me. Then in chapter two, verses three and four, Paul says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then in verse 21, he says, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. There's a parallel. And these parallels reinforce why Paul includes this passage here in this letter. He's saying, listen, listen. Here's a guy who embodies the unity and humility I spoke about earlier. Here's a guy who has learned how to live a life worthy of the gospel. Paul's making it clear. If you want to live a life worthy of the gospel, then do what this guy is doing. I want you to see him. I want you to learn from him. I want you to imitate him. That's why I want to send him to you. And then in verse 22, Paul says, for you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Now, there's more going on here than Paul simply saying, I'm like a father to Timothy and he's like a son to me. Because in the ancient world, in fact, in a huge chunk of, in our modern world outside of the West, but throughout history for sure, sons would follow their fathers into the family business. If your father was a farmer, odds were, you'd become a farmer. If your father was a lawyer, odds were, you'd become a lawyer. And that's how you learned your trade, working side by side, shoulder to shoulder with your father. And that's the language Paul picks up here. He worked worked right at my side as a son serving with his father. Timothy pursued Paul. He followed him. He watched him. He learned from him how to be like him. And Paul trained Timothy. He nurtured him, encouraged him, and taught him how to live like him. And this brings us right back to Paul's philosophy about discipleship. We learn and grow through imitation. Nowhere is this more clearly seen than in the way a child copies their parents. I've been a parent for just over two and a half years now, and I'm already acutely aware of this in my own life. The way my little boy copies my actions and the things I say, I gotta be careful. And he's only two, he's only just getting started. I'm sure other parents will tell me that it's only gonna get worse. I'll probably have to cut back on everything I say and everything I do in case he copies the bad habits. But we learn and we grow through imitation. And to Paul, it is vital that you and I learn that the church is marked by a younger generation learning from an older generation, by sons and daughters learning from their mothers and fathers who are further down the road in their faith. This is what the church is. It's family It's where we come together in relationship with other followers of Jesus in in a way that's upfront, up close, personal, honest, down to earth. What you see is what you get, life together. But the danger is that if we're not careful or intentional, we can easily forget how how important community is in our formation. We can easily get isolated and find ourselves trying to figure out how to live like Jesus on our own without the wisdom, care, support, and encouragement of good role models around us. Maybe you're finding yourself in that situation right now, or a situation like that. Maybe lately you've been trying to walk out and figure out the Christian life by yourself, but found yourself not getting very far. Can I encourage you today that we need running partners to run this race alongside us? And what I love about this church and this wonderful community that we get to be a part of is that it's full of Pauls and Timothys. And at one time, you might find yourself being more of a Paul. And at other times, you might find yourself being more of a Timothy. But most of the time, I think it's both. I think we're called to be Pauls and Timothys often at the same time. So right now, are you pursuing a Paul? Are you training a Timothy? Just take a step back for a moment and consider, who are you imitating? And who's imitating you? I just have a a few thoughts that I'd like to share on this. Thought number one, the best way to pursue a pool is to go and find one. You can sit around waiting for somebody to come to you and say, hey, can I mentor you? Sometimes that does happen. But if that's what you're hoping for, I think you're probably gonna be waiting for quite a while. From my experience, the best way to build a mentoring relationship is to go and find them. Look for somebody in your own life who you look up to. Maybe in your small group or on a team that you serve on uh, or just part of this community. They don't have to be perfect. But if they're honest and real and you see something in them that you want to learn, just ask them. A couple of years ago, while Soph and I were still pastoring the North Side, I realized that I needed some wisdom to help me navigate through that season of leadership in my life. Luckily for me, we have some incredibly wise and experienced leaders in this church, people who've seen it all and lived it all and are still here to tell the stories. So I approached David, who's part of our community, a wonderful man of God. He'd be embarrassed that I said that. And I asked him if if we could just meet up for a coffee and a chat. And I found that first chat just really helpful. And off the back of that, we agreed to meet up more regularly. So maybe once a month or every couple of months, we'd go grab a coffee, take a stroll and just chat. I'd share what was going on with me and ask some questions. And David would share stories and wisdom and advice and just really encourage me along. So if you need a pool, so if you're in need of a pool to pursue, my advice is to go find one. You know, we're here to help. By all means, speak to your site pastor or your small group leader, or even get in touch with me. We can try and help find you someone. But my advice to you is just go find them. Go get them. Chances are they're probably already in your life. Point two is this. Develop a learner mentality. Cultivate the heart posture of a learner so that everywhere you go, you're like a sponge. I love being around people who are a little bit further along in their faith, in their life than me, and just asking them questions and learning from them, whether it's parenting tips, cooking advice, or how to read the Bible. Uh, I remember when I was a bit younger in my faith, when I was about 20, and I'd only been a Christian for a year or two, I'd barely read the Bible, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how to read the Bible really. But there was this guy in the church who I'd met a few times, another David in fact. And from those few encounters I'd had with David, I just knew that he loved the Bible. He knew how to read it and study it and get the most out of it. So for a season in my life as a 20 year old, I spent a few months meeting up with David, usually in the morning, once a week. And basically we just read the Bible together but I would ask him question, after question, after question. I wanted to make the most out of the time we had and learn everything I could from him. Here was a man who knew God's word and loved it. I could see the way it shaped his life and I wanted that too. So ask questions and cultivate the heart posture of a learner. Point three is this, if you're pursuing a pool, serve their vision, not yours. Don't come at this where you think that the Paul in your life, whether it's a man or a woman, is simply there to pour into your life and make you a better person. Listen to the language of Paul about Timothy. He was as a son, he was as a son to a father, serving at my side for the work of the gospel. It's the heart posture of a servant. Come with the heart posture of a servant and come with the heart of a learner and say, How can I learn with you? How can I serve with you? Again, back when I was really new in my faith, in fact, this is even earlier, back when I was 18 or 19, and I'd literally just stepped foot into church, I'd just come to faith, just started following Jesus. There was a guy in the church called Mike, and he was a worship leader. He also led a young adult small group together with his wife that I went along to. And their kids were a similar age to me. And basically, he just loved Jesus. And again, it was just so clear to see how his love for Jesus shaped the way that he lived. And even as a teenager, as a, as a completely new-to-faith Christian, I could see in Mike that if Christians were supposed to live like Jesus, then he got it. He knew what it was about. And I knew that this was a guy I needed to hang around with and learn from. So I asked him if I could hang out with him. And at that time, Mike used to have Tuesday afternoons off work and he volunteered and helped out in a little cafe run by the church that served food and drinks for homeless people in the town. So what did Mike do when I asked him if I could hang out with him? He invited me along to help out at the cafe. And so I did. I served alongside him. I rubbed shoulders with him week after week. Mike didn't need to add anything extra to his schedule to train and disciple me. He just invited me to join in with what he was already doing. He was my small group leader. I saw him um, at church on a Sunday. I served alongside him at the cafe. He taught me the basics of the Christian faith. He and his wife used to invite me around for dinner together with their kids. They welcomed me into their family. We watched movies together. We sat around the fire. We hung out. And I grew up so much in my faith. Those guys were spiritual parents to me. They nurtured me and cared for me. They invested in me and shaped who I am and who I became. And I am so grateful for the time that they took to look out for me. So my point is be prepared to serve their vision. Because as you do life shoulder to shoulder with them, it will shape you. And then my last point is really for the pools in the room. If you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, then you have a responsibility to be training some Timothys. If you know anything, and you might say to me, well, I don't know that much. It doesn't matter. If you know anything, you have a responsibility from God to pass that on to someone who's a bit further behind you in your journey. Now, I reckon some of you know that God's nudging you to be a Paul in this season but you just feel a bit uncomfortable about that. You're thinking, "Oh, I can't do that. I'm just not perfect. I barely have it together myself. Listen, you can. If you're honest and authentic and genuine, if you're pursuing Jesus and you know anything, and I mean anything, you have a responsibility to pass it on. And what I'm talking about here is stage, not age. It doesn't matter if you're in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. If you've been walking with God for any length of time, you can train a Timothy. Just be real and intentional and available and let God do the rest. Now, I just want to end my message today by turning our attention to what Paul says about Epaphroditus. Paul's already spoke about Timothy as an example. And then in verse 25, Paul goes on. He says... Therefore I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, for because he, because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me." No, I don't have long. I, I won't say much about Epaphroditus, but there are two things I want to highlight. The first is this. What is it that marks Epaphroditus out as a great example to the Philippians? I think the answer is in verse 30. Paul says that Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ. When he could have turned around and protected himself, Epaphroditus carried on. Sick, almost dead, he pressed on towards Rome for the sake of the gospel to get the money to pull. This was a man who was prepared to risk his life and go to great lengths for the sake of the gospel. You know, there were many men and women who called themselves Christian at that time. But how many of them would go to those lengths? Epaphroditus shone like a star because it was clear that he was living a life worthy of the gospel. So when you're looking for someone to follow, somebody to learn from, look around you and see who's shining, who in your life is already carrying something that you want to pick up. There's your role model. The second point I want to make is this. Epaphroditus came from the Philippian church community. He was one of their own and he was living a life worthy of the gospel. So what encouragement can we take from this? I think it's that the examples we should be looking to aren't a rare few. Out of reach, celebrity status, men and women of God who will probably never meet. The truth is there are many men and women in this community across our sites, role models within our own church, people we rub shoulders with week in, week out who we can learn from. Here at Vineyard Church, we often talk about learning to live like Jesus and embracing the lifestyle of a disciple. But trying to figure out how to do that by ourselves isn't easy. And that's because we're not supposed to try and work it out by ourselves. Learning to live like Jesus in all the fullness and joy that Paul articulates happens best when we're walking side by side with one another, doing life together in in the community that God designed for us, the church, the family of God. So let me finish by asking you this, who in your life are you imitating right now? And who is imitating you? Are you pursuing a Paul? Are you training a Timothy? Because if we want to learn the secret of living a life worthy of the gospel, living in the fullness and the joy of life with Jesus, then this is something we need to do together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder as family.